Headroom. That's not even minus 12. Look yeah. at that. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Purple Fringe, the show where we chat about the high end of low end digital media production. My name's Jonathan. Chris, how are you? I'm oh, very well, thanks, Jonathan. All right. Uh, we don't have much time today, Chris, because we've got a business meeting after this, so we we're going to get straight into it. It's Photokina time. Photokina is a uh, trade show where companies release a lot of different products, and there has been a heap of things coming out in the last couple of weeks. So, the first thing we want to chat about, Chris, is a new drone from DJI. Awkward insert edit. We're talking about the DJI Mavic Pro. This one looks pretty interesting. It's very small. Um, It's interesting because uh, they've gone very direct for the consumer market on this one for as far as I can see. It's it's something that uh, can fold up and uh, go into quite a small little space. It's um, got a reasonable flight time on it, so 27 minutes, which is... You know, good good. For, for you know, compared to your smaller uh, units, yeah, uh, and it, of course, it has the pretty amazing technology from DJI that allows you to do, um, you know, well, basically not be a pilot and still fly the thing. Uh, so yeah. it has uh, anti-collision detection, and it has yeah. ground tracking, and it has all this technology that was military-grade stuff worth millions of dollars only a few years ago, and now it's available on a sub one thousand dollar <laughs> drone. It looks, you know. it looks really cool. I'm actually really excited about this. It looks to me, and there's another announcement we'll get to a little bit later from GoPro, but it looks to me that drones have now gotten to the point where they're more accessible to the vast majority of people. Drones traditionally were quite technical and a little bit fiddly, I think, and these new ones look like they're really user-friendly in the way that they've been designed. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, right down to the remote control and the uh, even the, the setup with the camera and things like that. Well, so. with this one, we're using our phone as a viewfinder, which I'm not a massive fan on, but it does save perhaps a little bit of money along the way. Uh, in terms of the weight, as Chris said, it is quite small. And it does fold up. It's 743 grams, which is very lightweight. Um, in terms of the lens, it's uh, a 28mm equivalent, f2.2 lens, and it goes onto a, a roughly half-inch sensor. A bit smaller, yeah. Yeah, a little bit smaller. It's got a 4K camera, pretty standard for the DJI stuff these days. But just the form factor, Chris, I think it's really cool the way it sort of folds away and you can basically stick it on a on a backpack or something like that and yeah. take it away with you. If only uh, it came with a custom backpack that you could slide it into. Yes, which we'll maybe <laughs> get to a little bit later. Although you can buy some goggles for it and you can have full VR race. Yet. You can't well, yet. There's a lot. Look, honestly, I this this. We'll talk about this this other product in a moment that is drone related. But I'm looking at the stuff, the promotional material for the DJI, and it's not as real as said competitions uh, demos. Like it's, mm. I, I haven't seen a true demo of what it can actually do yet. That I believe. It's got uh, a proper gimbal system, so no silly electronic stabilization. It's a full stabilized gimbal system, which would be good. The controller is interesting. It looks like a game pad that you rig up to your phone. So, you know, again, I'm not a huge fan of ha- using your yeah. phone for these things. I no, actually I. detest it myself, but, you know, th- they've done that with other products like the Osmo. 749 for the basic drone, and there are higher-end options if you want to spend a bit more money. Uh, as Chris sort of uh, mentioned, there is no goggle pricing yet. It's something that's coming down the line a little bit later. So you will be able to throw those goggles on your head a la Vive or Oculus Rift and then fly your drone around first person. We'll see how well nah, that works. That'll be a Google Cardboard-style thing, you know, where you slide your phone in. And honestly, uh, again, we'll yeah, if, if your phone is your one and only link to the the vehicle that's flying around and it's sitting in a headset and something goes wrong with it and you can't get to it. I mean, there is a return to home feature, but 
Yeah, the retu- return to home feature looked pretty cool. It can track up to 20 satellites once it's in the air, so it should get some pretty good GPS coordinates. It can also do person tracking, which will be uh, interesting if it works properly. So you can basically on your phone draw a, a bounding box around something that you want to track and then the drone will track it, which if it works will be pretty cool. Mm, and I think that there's a, a ground GPS tracking as well where you can be um, going along with your phone or whatever in your pocket and um, it'll actually track uh, approximately where you are as well for those wide shots. Yeah, it, and it, pretty clever. You, but you don't need to wear any uh, tags or, or trackers or anything like that. Well, you've like got that. your phone and that has a GPS in it as well, <clears> but as well as the scanner. And, I yeah, think the it, image it, it recognition both, and, and tracking, yeah. Which is, you know, again, for a product that's under $1,000, this technology's unbelievable. Yeah, it is really cool. And it does fit in nicely with, Chris, new laws in Australia as of today mm. um, for for <laughs> RPAs or remotely piloted aircraft. So uh, there are new laws for both uh, people doing it for non-profit purposes and also for commercial purposes for drones under two kilograms. So this yeah. definitely fits well, Let's just very quickly have that. a chat about that because that is something I, I guess you know, every country has to deal with. Uh, here in Australia, they have been quite progressive in actually sitting down and, and meeting with all the parties, uh, you know, to do with their, um, uh, things that fly in the air. And uh, as far as I understand, it wasn't the most democratic of meetings uh, that they've had. Like, there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of people who want a, a lot of different things. Personally, as someone who has a uh, partial pilot's license and has lived around pilots most of my life, uh, I don't think that the rules are anywhere near strict enough. And I think that they are probably going to make them stricter. But basically, what you've got to do is you've got to lodge a flight um, plan with CASA. Five days um, out from the five shoot. Five days out from the shoot. Say where you're going to be, what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to be you know, about 5K away from any uh, nearest aerodrome. Mm-hmm. You've got to be away from any emergency situations or anything. You've got to monitor yeah, and be aware and of like any emergency situations and and stop flying if that's the case. There's other conditions as well. Yep, 30, the, 30 meters away from people. Yeah, but one of the biggest things is that uh, they're saying that, uh, you know, for commercial jobs, you should be, if they require you to have public liability insurance and the rest of it, you know, for not striking buildings and the rest of it, it's probably going to be a lot harder to get that insurance and be able to put that forwards, which you have to do with some filming, you know, when you're out mm-hmm. there doing things, than if you have a proper license. So they're still encouraging people who are doing commercial flying, but it's if you're doing a little indoor shot or something or a little outdoor shot of your business, they're saying you can do it, but um, it's on your own grounds and your mm-hmm. own responsibility. And you probably won't get insurance for flying a drone without having a license. And they're not yeah. encouraging that as well. So it's interesting that these these laws have sort of popped up to allow a little loophole for these super lightweight. Um, I mean, personally, I think two kilograms is too heavy. I mm. would say like, you know, 1.2 or 1.4, which all these still fit under. Yep. So that's a, that's a good thing. Anyway, the, uh, interesting times we live in where you can now start flying these uh these automated mobiles around, especially with mm. all their anti-collision detection and things. I mean, there's a lot to go wrong if you're not a, a experienced pilot. Yeah, there is. But uh, luckily, it seems like they're adding more and more safety things with each generation. Yeah. And that's, you know, for it's the safe that, well, A, for the safety of people, but G, B, just so they don't crash the products. Yeah. <laughs> Expensive thing to crash in your first <clears throat> flight. Questionably, yeah. All right. Moving on, Chris. Olympus, hey. uh, a company that is uh, famous for their micro four thirds cameras. They've released a, a new flagship model, the OM-D E-M1 Mark II. Bit of a mouthful in terms of the, the model numbers, but this thing looks like 
for a micro four thirds camera, an absolute beast, Chris. This it looks amazing. Does. This is a very exciting uh, little unit. Uh, it's for starters, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase. It has a five axis um, sensor shift stabilizer in it that's supposedly um, really solid. And, and traditionally, the, I know the Olympus pen cameras and things like that have had a, a, a big following yep. with a lot of uh, photographers who wanted something smaller to take around and carry around. And they've, they've basically. You know, a company like Olympus, they're up against some pretty stiff competition. They've got, like, you know, your Sonys and your Nikons and your Canons. You've got to come up with something that's pretty solid to compete yeah. with those. So this is, it's not a full-frame sensor, but Micro Four Thirds is, of course, you know, a, a fairly supported lens system. Yeah, there's, very, very much so. And there's look, a lot th- of good options. Yeah, there is. And I think uh, Olympus has sort of made this their own a little bit. They haven't bothered with some of the larger sensors uh, cameras. They've just sort of really focused on on this sort of form factor and this sort of size sensor for the most part with some exceptions. And I think they're doing a really good job. Like... You know, it is a four-third sensor, but it's not that far off a uh, an APS-C sensor in terms of size. So if you do put some fast glass on the front of it, you can still definitely get, you know, your nice shallow depth of field. It's got a, a new 20 megapixel sensor. It shoots to SD. It shoots real 4K, which is interesting, and also shoots Ultra HD. So real 4K at uh, 24 and Ultra HD at 25 and HD at 50. 60 frames per second raw, Chris. That is insane 60 frames a second raw yeah so that's basically just filling up the buffer as far yeah. as i know so it just goes and then well much quicker than that'd be a 60 hertz hum yeah um and then you've you've basically got a second worth of yeah of a moment to capture from but i, I think it can actually buffer those all out and save them all as separate images or you can choose the ones to keep that'd be amazing for certain types of photography yeah. 60 Sports frames photography second. hello now and that that's manual focus but even so, if you locked your focus and, and fired that off, even with autofocus, you're getting 18 frames a second. That's better than a, a Canon 1D Mark II. Like, that's serious sort of stuff for, for RAW. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> impressed with it. Look, and it's it, got a really good um, uh, autofocus system by the looks of it. Um, 121 points, and that's quite a lot, mm. uh, with phase detection and contrast detection. I mean, it's, And it switches yeah. between them depending on what it thinks is the, the best way to focus, which is interesting. You, you talked about the, the five-axis sensor shift stabilization, Chris. It suggests it's up to five and a half stops, which is insane enough as it is. And on, in addition to that, you can also attach a, an IS, an image-stabilized lens, and then you get up to six and a half stops the stabilization and they were apparently chatting to the guys from olympus and they basically said yeah we can't go any higher this is the theoretical limit because of the speed of the earth rotating so i reckon that it's um it's probably you know as not as good as you'll get but probably you know amongst the, the higher end of, of stabilization of course you've got your dedicated uh, gimbal systems that are still going to give you that you know, movement around because it's still forwards and backwards and physically moving left and right. Yeah. You know, this is really only for rotation in the hand. You've got to keep but it I saw still a, in space. I saw a demo, Chris, and they basically held the camera and shook it like this. And I'm just yeah. you know, moving my hand quite a bit and it locked and it was just steady. It's it's amazing from what I've seen. It's really ah, good. Well, let's get one in our hands and have a look at some point. Yeah, it looks you know? like a fantastic camera. But what are we going to pay for this thing, man? Because I mean, well, you know, I don't it's... know yet. The old one was nine hundred bucks US uh, at the at the time of recording. Yep. Um, so look, I, I'd suggest a little bit over a thousand dollars US, maybe a, a bit over, maybe some. Yeah. It'll be somewhere between a thousand and, and fifteen hundred, you'd think. So you know, fifteen hundred to two thousand in Australia, plus your lenses, of course, if you don't already have some micro four thirds glass. But 
if you want a, a, a really good four-thirds camera, which is not going to be tiny, but it's also not going to be huge, and you want access to a lot of lenses and a lot of reasonably cheap lenses for what you get, then this looks like a ripper of a camera, I reckon. They're sort of going after the GH crowd, aren't they, a little bit? And maybe Yes, we'll get to the GH crowd a little yeah. bit later. <laughs> Interesting times. But yeah, I mean, they're Olympus, they're one of those brands that have held in there and, and you know... Yeah, look, I, I looked at this and I thought, geez, if I was, you know, not having to transfer from all this Canon glass, I'd seriously look at this camera. It looks like a really good camera. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of glass. Yeah, Sigma. Sigma, yes. Uh, the long-rumored 85mm f1.4 art lens has been announced, Chris. Long! We've said forever on this show about <laughs> let's let, when is Sigma going to release an 85? 85, yep, 1.4. Because the current one is actually pretty good apart from the purple fringing drink. Um, so, yep, <laughs> they have drink. now released... Uh, a better version of a, a similar lens to go in with the other art lines, things like the 50mm and the one that started it all, which was the 35mm. In addition to the 85, they've also announced the 12 to 24 f4 lens, which is a pretty niche sort of lens, I reckon, Chris. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty wide. Um, yeah, but it's also a pretty restrictive zoom range as well. Yeah, 12 to 24. Well, but. Because <coughs> most mean, of them go 12 or. Mo- most of them go about 15 to 30 or 15 to 35. Yeah, but this sort of gets it that extra bit of um, of of width, and it's 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 very it's designed for a very specific range of shooting. Yeah, I mean it's very much a la- well, arguably wide landscape or street photography, or you know even for um, if real you're real estate maybe real estate. That was what I was getting to. Yeah, in real estate yeah. or something, you know, something where you really want to capture that, um, and it'll be. It, with an art series, it'll be a pretty good, like, uh, yeah, you'd, resolve. Yeah, you hope so in terms of, yeah, aberrations and, and distortion and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, it's probably going to be for, for $1,600, $1,700, I'd say that that would be quite a good uh, lens for that work, which is obviously, you know, can lead to a lot of income. So, for people mm-hmm. in that bracket, as a hobbyist lens, it's probably yeah, a little I bit much. I think it's going to be all that popular <laughs> as a hobbyist, but for professionals, definitely. The other professional lens there is a 500mm F4 uh, sports line, which is one of their newer lines. Um, it's it's a six thousand dollar US lens, but it is five hundred mils at f four, yeah. and their sport lenses are designed to be a bit more robust. So they're they're built tough um, and should take a little bit of abuse, a little bit of weather, but it is again a six thousand dollar US lens. So you're paying some pretty serious cash for it. Yeah, wow. The um the eighty five we should say is twelve hundred dollars US, which I think is a, a pretty good price. The uh, thirty five. And the 50, I think the 35 is around uh, 900 Australian. The 50 is about 1,000 Australian. So this would probably be around the 15, maybe a little bit more, $1,600 Australian, which is up there. But look, it'll probably come down a little bit. Mm. And that's a pretty attractive lens, I think, for a lot of people. If you're doing portraits, full this frame is a, portrait, a great Ooh. camera. Uh, yeah. Great, sorry, a great lens. Available in Canon, Nikon, and Sigma mounts. Sigma, of course. <laughs> well, I think that's why they partially make lenses, isn't it? So they can keep their uh, lens keep support their up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they're definitely making good lenses. They, they have for many years. My favorite mm. lenses are two Sigmas. So. Mm. Moving on, Chris. Uh, Black Rapid, a um, couple of uh, new straps from them, which we won't spend too much time on because they're straps and they're not that exciting. But look, Black Rapid, I think, make really good straps. I own uh, their double strap to carry two bodies. The main thing they've done here is just made them a bit more breathable, I've found, especially in the summer when you're doing weddings, that you do get a bit sweaty under the straps. So they've just come up with this sort of mesh breathable design to make things a little bit easier. 
They come in single versions, double versions, and they've got some sort of shoulder slings and, and other stuff, uh, different colors and that sort of thing. But the main thing is that they're a bit more breathable. Yeah. Uh, there's not much more to say on that. No, not really. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that we don't underestimate. Um, you know, it, the straps and things like that are not going to go out of date necessarily. So. And look, straps, boring as they may be, for anyone who hasn't tried one and is wondering why would I spend $100 on a strap, my camera came with a strap, spend the $100 because it's worth it. It will yeah. make your life a complete, yeah, it, w- it will change your life because if you've got a properly balanced strap system, you can just go all day and not feel it anywhere near as much as if you've got some cheap single strap that is, you know, dragging down on one shoulder and, and twisting your spine around. Yeah, and the double the double um, camera harnesses as well and things are quite good as well to yeah. look into. They're a little bit more, but well worth it. They'll last outlast your camera and probably some of your lenses too. GoPro. Um, there's been rumors for a long time. GoPro has been through some recent troubles and uh, hopefully this will turn it around for them, Chris. And Chris is taking a drink because we did say GoPro. So GoPro has released a few things at Photokino. The first thing is the Hero 5 Black. It's the most powerful and easy way to use GoPro ever, thanks to its 4K video, voice control, one-button simplicity, touch display, and waterproof design. Now, when I'm jumping out of a plane, Chris, I'm not sure the voice recognition is going to work so well. (laughs) Record! 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 Um, However... Uh, no, not however. I think this is going to be a gimmick. I don't know if you'd use the voice record option that much, but it does look like a reasonably interesting camera. They've done a, f- a reasonable redesign. It's still kind of the same form factor, but um, they have sort of slimmed it down and put some curves on it, and it does look a little bit sexier. It's still reasonably expensive at $560 Australian or $569 Australian. Um, 4K video, the old one did that. Um, it does have a, a touch display on the back which the old one didn't have at least at the high end so that's something that's a little bit different Um, they've also released another couple of cameras the hero 5 session which is kind of the same thing without the touchscreen it's also a little bit more compact because of the lack of the touchscreen and that's 460 dollars australian and they've also got the hero session which is basically the, the new budget version thoughts on this chris um yeah from the video that i've seen of demos the Dynamic range is pretty good on the cameras and the, the resolve on the image is pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was quite impressed with what I was seeing picture-wise and sound-wise, it sounded quite clean as well. So, yeah, I mean, sound for, is something they said they've spa- uh, paid a bit of attention to. <laughs> for, um, some, for something that's so small, I mean, the little cube ones are really next level small. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you can hide it and totally not even notice it on set, you know. Yeah. They've got stabilization in the two higher-end ones as well now. How well that works will... We'll find out probably in the next couple of weeks. And there's GPS on the bigger one. I yeah, think you've got location one. on the on the larger one as well, which is probably a pretty good thing for the style of stuff you're doing with a, a GoPro. The other feature, Chris, on the high-end model is uh, wide dynamic range photography and also RAW. So that's a bit of a step up from the existing version 4 model. Yeah. I think all in all, this is probably a step forward for GoPro. In fact, it's definitely a step forward for GoPro. Um, you know, they've they've continued just trying to improve something that wasn't broken already and they haven't changed the formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a good thing, you know. I And having that little screen built in is something where, you know, you do want to check your exposure and things like that. And framing. And your framing. <laughs> so framing. it's... Yeah, a lot of the time with the GoPro, you are positioning it where you can't necessarily see the yeah, screen. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure that's going to get what I want, but I'm not certain. Well, you see, and the thing is, you still be might be mounting it to a wall or something where it is tricky. But for the you know in car shots or in you know, there's a whole 
load of times where it would be amazing to have a screen and it's good to finally see that on their high-end model. Yeah. Continuing with GoPro, Chris, the big one, the one that's been rumoured for a long time now. Oh, here we go. Is the GoPro Karma, their new drone. And this yes. one's really interesting. We talked about the DJI drone a little bit earlier but this is basically the competitor obviously they've both been working on similar sorts of drones and it's really interesting to see them both come out or both at least be announced at a similar sort of time so we can sort of compare the two and there are some pros and cons i think to each chris what do you think the gopro karma has packages it up in a way that i have never seen a company package up a drone before which you cannot discount it is something it to be is said so for having cool. a kit that actually works good on gopro yes the price is a little higher but they've gone let's make you a kit that kicks ass and yeah. the people who have reviewed this so far so a few people have got the early ones have just said how amazing it is as a kit like mm. so yeah, you the, look at the uh, the in the box list on bnh uh, website huge. and it's really long okay so what they've done here let's just put it down the very first thing a carrying case. Mm-hmm. When you've got a drone, it's a backpack, trying it's to look after it, case. yeah, it's it's hard because you've got rotors and things. I mean, your pro units, it's okay. You've got flight cases and all this, you know, professional. Yeah, but it costs hundreds of dollars, if not just thousands. Just the case, yeah. yeah. So they've given you a proper molded flight case with room for accessories and you can just, everything lives in there and there's room for more. Mm. And it's a backpack and it has, you know, it's just, it's a really nice case for starters that just, just packages everything up. So that's the first thing. You get it and it's a nice case. In there, you've got room for your batteries. You've got room for your actual um, Karma, which is a quadcopter that actually folds up mm. in a very interesting way. Um, similar to the DJI. To the DJI. The, yeah. The, yeah, the rotors fold in and it... Um, and it's got a bit of weight to it. I mean, they're arguing, I mean, the argument, I guess you could say for this against the DJI is it's a little heavier. It's, mm. um, people say when you pick it up and you hold it in your hand, it is quite a, a weighty, um, you know, device that you hold, yep. but that is to do with the fact that it's got a fairly good battery life. It's got pretty good gravity, like, uh, the way that it, um, its center of gravity is sitting. And so for flying, it's supposed to be quite stable. Uh, in, and, and quite a bit more resilient to wind than some of the smaller units. Mm. Uh, it has a remote control that is just from a, it's straight out of a Nintendo catalog. Like it's a yeah amazing flip up screen. It's just I sexy. I think that's actually one of the good things. It's it's not a phone that you have to worry about someone calling you halfway through your drone flight and talking into your drone controller. It is a dedicated device. And look, integration of phones is fantastic in many respects. But I. I personally prefer a dedicated device uh, does monotask it just does one thing and hopefully does that one thing quite well um look this is interesting in terms of pricing because it's all over the shop because you can buy this without any camera and it's really cheap without any camera it's 400 bucks us however you're probably going to want to get it with a, a gimbal system and some sort of camera so you can get it with gimbal systems for existing gopros or you can get it with the new gopro 5 black and that's going to come in at just over a thousand dollars, one thousand one hundred, and you know that's a little bit more expensive than the DJI, as Chris said. But it has a bit of a secret weapon, and that is uh-huh. that you can pull the GoPro off the drone and put it onto a stick that they ship with it, and it's almost like a, an Osmo, Chris. Yeah, so you've effectively got a, a handheld gimbal camera that can uh, just clip onto the... I reckon that's really cool. Yeah, it, and it's great. And so you've got something where you can just walk around on the ground or you can fly something in the air and you, yeah. can, you can get your various Especially if you're the kind of person who goes, look, I like... To, I like the idea of getting a, a drone. That would be really cool. I could get a few shots, but I'm not going to use it that much. Whereas this, you might go, well, hang on, the ground gimbal stick candle thing, 
I could use that 50% of the time and I could use the drone 50% of the time and suddenly this becomes a worthwhile investment. Absolutely. So it's available on the 23rd of October. Um, I think, look, to me, I'm not a massive fan of GoPro myself, but out of these two products, I just think the fact that it comes prepackaged with the backpack and the removability and the Osmo-esque version of the GoPro on a stick, I think that's enough to put this one over the edge, at least for myself. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just... It's, oh, and also the controller as well. Yeah, and the controller's really slick and straight to the point. Everything's built in. It, it looks like... Again, the demos that they've put up, and this is the difference between DJI and um, GoPro. GoPro have done the GoPro thing of giving it to people and online to review and to talk about and not necessarily being on camera themselves or directing the shoot. It's been like, okay, review this for us. Tell us what you think. And they've they've had some really honest reviews of people using it and playing around with it and creating mm. stuff with it and um, not, you know... Uh, not trying to hide what it can and can't do, you know. It's and it, it's they're not trying to make it ultra cool. It is ultra cool because people are pulling out of a box and going, "Oh, th- yes, <laughs> yeah." And yeah. that's to me is is really clever marketing too. Yep. On the front of the people, I mean, it might not get the hype through to some of the, you know, uh, the the I don't know if you'd say mainstream public, but the the gimmicky public. Uh, but for people who you know want to look at a serious, well, semi-serious little uh, entry into. Uh, into drone flying, I yeah. think this thing's great. The guys at New Shooter have put up a, a reasonably um, extensive comparison on paper, at least, between the DJI and the GoPro. So check that out in our show notes if you yeah, want to get a bit of a comparison. Well, I went through that a couple of times, and I'm I don't know how true some of those. Uh, yeah, it, it's quite a good view of, of from the at top on down paper. on paper, yeah. but. They do say the same thing that we would say as well. That is, until it's flying and it's in your hands. I mean, the the DJI one says that it has up to eight kilometers range with this special antenna kit and these things you can get. The GoPro one is saying oh, it does about a, a k and a half Which, um, when you push it. But I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd believe that more than I'd be, believe the DJI. Well, one. under those new Australian laws, it has to be within eyesight anyway for most of your <laughs> operations, so it doesn't really make much difference. Exactly. So, yep, available October twenty third. It's probably going to be sort of Christmas time for Australia, but. Mm. This might be a Christmas present for us. I think Ooh, it's be pretty good. pretty cool. Yeah. We've already talked about getting one in the office, so <laughs> I don't think we're gonna shoot anything commercial with it, but we'll no, just, just be for flying fun, around fly the beach. Back and forth. <laughs> yep. Sony breathes new life into the A mount with the A ninety nine two Chris. Now this is something that uh, I think a lot of people never expected to see because Sony's been putting so much effort into its mirrorless cameras that it seemed like they'd forgotten about the good old chunky cameras that they used to make. So and you can say to a, a you can say to an A99 user, like, oh, it's a shame that A-mount's dead, isn't it? Yeah. And they just look at you with this scowling face. Mm. And but um, now they can stare back at you and say, well, we've, got a, we've got a brand new one. It's got a 42.4 megapixel sensor, motherfucker. It does, and it has 4K recording, and it has five-axis sensor shift image 4.5 stops yeah yeah and it's um yeah it's looking a lot um a lot in common with that olympus camera we spoke about earlier to be honest except uh, the price except it's way chunkier and uh a lot more expensive (laughs) Mm. but look this is good i suppose for those who are on this particular mount um the mirrorless cameras are amazing and, and they're getting you know they're the hot new thing for a lot of people but the one thing about those cameras is the ergonomics suck like it's this tiny little camera that you pair with these massive lenses and it's just all wrong when it comes to the ergonomics. The technology in it is phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot to be said for ergonomics and that is where this camera excels over its mm. mirrorless brethren. And that's what I've heard with people who've used them and have had them around. Also, and the battery life sucks on the mirrorless cameras too. 
yeah, the battery life on this with the grip is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it goes like all day. I know a guy was using one at a music festival and he said he used it for like both nights of the festival on, mm. and he'd forgotten to charge it and it didn't matter. I was mm. like, all right, well, you wouldn't get that on a mirrorless no, <laughs> a little definitely throw around. Not. So the fact they've added internal 4K recording is an interesting thing as well. I mean, it does give you a whole load more glass that if you're on an A-mount system, you might yep. be able to make use of. Um, gee, I mean, what do you say about this camera? It really is... Uh, uh, extension of of a legacy of uh, I guess the the cameras that put Sony into the playing game for you know mm. professional yeah good good for people market. using it I, people in Nikon and Canon worlds don't care um, it's an interesting one I'll be curious to see if they continue to release this sort of camera or if it goes mirrorless full time so what, what who's it competing with is it competing with the D ones? It's not really, is it? It's sort of the eight hundred yeah. sort of. I don't so, know many people that really looking at this. To be honest, I I think it's people that were interested when Sony started making the push into competing with Canon and Nikon, and they put out some really cool stuff at really cool prices. And maybe this is just for them. I'm not convinced that anyone who's shooting on Nikon or Canon now is looking at this because a lot of those people are going, oh, I like the size of mirrorless, even though the reality is once you put a big lens on it, it's not that different. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, Chris. I'm not sure who's looking at this camera, to be honest. Yeah. I'm sure it makes a few people out there very happy. So Yeah, it is alpha and it's full frame and it's yeah. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's the A-mount. So people with A-mount lenses, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. But that's you know, there's quite a few people out there. It's a good lens system. Yeah, quite a few options on it, so can't complain. It adapts okay to other formats as well. Mm. All right, Chris uh, Manfrotto, a new announcement from them, which yeah. looks kind of interesting. This is a video head that's quite portable and quite lightweight. Not super lightweight, but quite lightweight. Yeah, so uh, a little bit. In fact, they've got a whole um, tripod system, um, and it's uh, it's designed to be ultra compact, super light. Well, not super lightweight, but fairly lightweight. Uh, but at an affordable price. So we're looking about $250 um, for something that has uh, three stage legs and f- goes to a relatively decent height. And mm. um, yeah, and more importantly, is it, you can put it in a backpack or put it in a camera yeah, case. Yeah, it, it folds up like lots of little photography travel tripods do where they sort of fold over their own head in a way. Um, and this does that as well, except it's a video fluid head and, you know, it looks pretty good. It's 2.2 kilos, which isn't super lightweight, but for a a fluid head video tripod is pretty lightweight and most of that weight's actually in the legs. So it's interesting to see that they don't appear to have a carbon fiber version of this because that's where the legs would save quite a lot of weight. But it would cost a lot of money. That's the problem. But look, this is 240 bucks US. Carbon fiber version might cost... You know, 400 US, maybe more. But if you're looking for a lightweight uh, video head, there's not that much else out there. So I think it would have pretty good market if they did a carbon fiber version. I reckon they will. But, you know, still is something that's small. If you want something that's just going to fit yeah. in a small place, then this is uh, certainly something for video videography and being able to still get a pan and still be able to reframe a shot quickly. It's something mm. that will give you those options. Yeah, and look, it is uh, available as the head only. And the head only is only... 0.4 kilograms so if you do have your own legs maybe you could match it to those and get some carbon fiber or, or lighter legs mm, absolutely but um it's good to see manfrotto still being sort of uh responsive with making making some cool lightweight products mm. they certainly had a lot of competition in that front recently so 
Yes, they do it very well. So you can guarantee it'll be a nice, um, a nice product. I, d- I just wish it was one point five kilograms instead of two point two. Yeah, <laughs> then I would really buy it. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, cool. That'd be cool. It's something I'm in the market for at the moment. Is is a super, and I've looked at a lot of options. A and travel style tripod that isn't going to make me swear every time I use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, Ken and Chris, we're, we're blazing through this today because there is a lot of news to get through. Um, they've announced this was a little bit before Photokina, the M5 mirrorless camera, and two new lenses. So. So this is an extension on Canon's uh, efforts in the mirrorless realm, which uh, arguably haven't been that fantastic up until this point. Um, I would agree with them not being that fantastic because I own one of their mirrorless cameras, but this one looks a little bit different. It looks a bit, a little bit more fleshed out. It's got a 24 megapixel APS-C size sensor. It's got a nice EVF on it, a 2.36 million dot EVF. So that is a welcome addition because some of the earlier ones you couldn't add an EVF and then the others you had to buy it as an extra thing. This comes with it. A nice 3.2 touchscreen that you can tilt but you can't rotate or anything like that. One of its Achilles heels is its video and that only goes to 1080p at 60 frames per second when most of the competition, in fact most of the competition for a year now at least, has been going to 4K. So that's definitely a downside. But what's this for? I mean, this is this is a family shooter in my book. It's a high quality family shooter. Yeah, well, yeah, high, yeah definitely a high quality family shooter. Um, but look, it'd be nice to use it as a video camera if it did have 4K. Like, nah. uh, like it, it's an APS-C size sensor. You could get some nice video out of it. Yeah, uh, I guess, yeah. Um, that being said, you can't get any audio out of it because it doesn't have any audio ins, Chris. So, no. look, it's it's limited in that respect. They have added Wi-Fi and NFC and, and Bluetooth, which is a first for, for this style of camera from Canon. Um, $1,000 US or close enough to. So... Yeah, for, for you know, eleven hundred, they're uh, they're releasing it with a um, IS lens kit as well. Yeah, um, which is sort of a smaller, uh, pancakey style um, lens, as far as I know. Oh, it's got a bit of got a bit of depth to it actually, but it's um, I reckon it'd be be alright as a as a weekend, you know, party camera, and you know, shoot some uh, some in betweens or for an office camera you pull out now and again to do various bits with i don't i don't think it's like um even sort of prosumer market i still sort of see this as being an enthusiast shooter mm. camera yeah, Probably, look, but the ability to change your lenses out to to obviously you know do do something a bit more special when you want it yeah look the olympus i think is well it's more expensive but it's definitely a, a much better camera and even their lower end cameras i think are better than this they do do 4k they do have mic inputs and they have sexy new lenses, Chris. Like I'm not exactly sure on the focal range, but something like an 18 to 100 f/4, which is a pretty handy sort of lens if you're shooting video. Mm. So yeah, I mean, Canon is still rolling along. I mean, it's not. It'll be a nice little camera. It'll be very refined, I'm sure, and uh, probably a good shooting experience. But I, yeah, I can't get too excited about it. But something that uh, is certainly above the realm of a family point-and-shoot camera is the Panasonic GH series, which, of course, have been gracing the world since their GH. Uh, well, 2, really, was the camera that came out that started blowing people away with its uh, full HD uh, video and uh, really nice stabilization capability. Of course, it was a GH3 that continued that legacy. The GH4 brought in 4K. Mm. And now we've got a GH5, and there's this, this rumor of 6K, John, but what's it all about? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. The 6K is a bit of a mess as far as <laughs> I can tell. It's this feature that you can shoot video and then extract a still from that video. It's which... what we were talking about with the upfront with the yeah. um, 
the uh, Olympus camera. It's a, as yeah. far as I can tell, it's a fast, super fast burst mode mm. that allows you to just grab frames from it. Yeah, no, look, that doesn't impress me that much. What does interest me is that it's the first camera of this style that's going to do 4K at 60p or 50p in this country, and it's also doing 422 in 10-bit, which is pretty high-end for a camera that costs around $1,000 US mark. Yep, and um, look, there's a lot of things that uh, are questionably uh, uh, people raise their eyebrows about on the, uh, the GH4. I know skin mm. tones. I've just come off a job trying to match skin tones off the GH4. In fact, get any decent-looking skin tones off a GH4. Um, and you can do it with playing around with log modes and various... Uh, but honestly, I I haven't had the best experience with good quality uh, uh, images with skin tones in it. Uh, mm. The landscape stuff looked great uh, that we got. Um, and I was trying to match that with stuff off a Sony FS5, which is obviously an utterly different camera. But it's, yeah. it's, it's not up there with the... The, the dedicated video camera sort of style cameras, but it still it's gets a lot an of bang amazing, for your buck. amazing image, pretty sharp, and there's a lot of lens options at a great price because it's a four thirds, know, four thirds. Yeah. Well, look, this is a prototype as well, so all the details aren't available just yet. It won't be shipping until they say early next year. So hopefully, we'll get a bit more detail then. However, it is exciting, and a lot of people are very interested in this camera. So hopefully, we'll get a few more details in the not too distant future. But there is a GH5 on the uh, the horizon, and they've said first half of next year. Yep. First half is a pretty big scape, though. It could be February. It could be June. Could be June. Could be <laughs> yeah. NAB. Who knows? We'll find out when we get there. So. All right, Chris, just to finish up, a couple of uh, little points I wanted to highlight. Fuji has announced a, a medium format camera, which wow. looks uh, very interesting. We had um, another announcement earlier in the year, but this is uh, a nice announcement from Fuji. Not a lot of detail just yet, and it is going to be expensive. They say they're targeting sub $10,000 US, so a little bit above the high end of low end digital media production technology, but interesting nonetheless. And it's a handheld format once again. I mean, which they yeah, quite a compact sort of camera. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that the Mamiya's and the you know the Hasselblads of yesteryear were handheld as well, but they were very much a box of fairly giant yeah. sort of uh, system. Whether these have got a um, yeah a very traditional sort of SLR feel to them, mm. and uh, phew, Fuji have always done some good cameras. Uh, They've done some pretty cheap, scrawny stuff too, but I mean, their yeah. high end used to be pretty good. So yeah, and their mid-range cameras are still selling really well. They still do really nice stuff with their mid-range, uh, you know, APS-C size sensor cameras. Um, they sell quite well, and the glass available is really good for them as well. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what uh, what this medium format camera does. Why would we still be shooting medium format, John? Because it looks really sexy, Chris. <laughs> I know that's probably the same answer I'd give as well. Yeah. I mean, I was I I, I got a whole load of images for something the other day that someone sent through uh, from one of the universities, and I was like, "Oh, that's nice. They, these aren't mm. student photos." And I was looking at the metadata, and sure enough, it was a medium format. Whole load of medium format. It's just the lenses. Yeah. It's how flat you can get an image because you don't have to bend it round to get it onto the center mm. in the same way that you have to do. You know, we have to funnel it down to a smaller sensor if you're going for a, you know APS-C. Even at the 35, at that point, yeah, you've got a bigger. Um, you know, bigger sensor to deal with, but just yeah, the, just the way you get these really nice flat landscapes off those sensors is beautiful. And noise, of course, bigger yeah, sensor, a lot more area to catch, capture light. This is fifty so. megapixels. So wow, yeah. It's and when you're nice looking at fifty sensor. megapixels, you're really talking about a bigger area of glass that you want to be using to capture. Yeah, of course, it makes this, the lenses a little more expensive. I mean, what's a cheap lens for a medium format camera? 
no, because <laughs> I'm not in that league, Chris. I can't afford a medium format camera. I just dream. But yeah, normally thousands of dollars for a half decent lens. Uh, yeah, I would I would sort of argue yeah, four or five thousand. But I mean, if you if you are in that top level. Um, if you maybe get a, a set of um, of primes, uh, you know, you, you might be able to get something that's secondhand and really clean. Mm. Um, there is actually uh, a whole load of uh, series. Here we go. So, apparently in the GF series uh, of Fujian lenses, they're releasing six lenses to go with it before the end of next year. Nice. Um, there's a 63mm, uh, There's a, a which is basically uh, a similar... Uh, field of view as, as a 50. So, if you think 63 to 50 is, you know, it's, mm, so it's a ratio of about, what, 1, one to 1.3 or so. Mm. Um, they're also doing a, a wide-angle zoom, a 32 to 64. It's equivalent to a 25 to 51. And they're doing a full-scale 120-millimeter uh, F4 um, macro, uh, which is effectively the ultimate in um, yeah. portrait, where you've got a bit of a bigger studio and you can put the camera a little bit further uh, in the next room. Um, but that's also image stabilized, which is interesting. Nice. Uh, so they are actually going for portrait on the fly, probably fashion people, you know, where you've got a bit of yeah. space to work with. Yeah. And then they're also um, looking at a, a 110 mil, a 23 and a 45 all in prime, uh, which, so they're going for 18 mil equivalent of a full frame as well on this. That's pretty wide mm. and pretty clean. So, hey, look, this could be, a pretty good camera if you're trying to take a step up to that higher end of the market. I'm sure to be sensibly priced if it's a Fuji. Ten thousand dollars. We're talking medium <laughs> format here. What's yeah. his competition? Fifty, forty-five thousand. Oh, there's the other mirrorless. This, this is cheaper than a entry level car, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's can, one way to look at it. I, I, if I had the choice between buying this and a between this and a car. And I could just get like a, a crappy runaround car in one of these. I'd definitely get a crappy runaround car in one of mm. these. Like, you know, if I wanted to take beauty, beauty portrait model shots and stunning um, landscape. Yeah, definitely. Especially in lower light. Mm. Well, we've got a business meeting to get to, Chris. So we better finish up with our uh, beer with for our the beer week. review. Which is the Urban Crusader Double Hopped Lager, which you've handed to me, Chris. 4%, not that heavy. Yeah, 1.2 standard drinks. But um, what do you think of this one, Chris? I'm not massive on this one. <laughs> well, as the quote says on the back, it's a big bad world out there. And there's some yeah. uh, definitely some uh, some big bad beers out there too. This I wouldn't say is, is particularly bad, but it's just uh, it's not particularly uh, interesting Good. either. I've, no. I've said that a few weeks in a row. But yeah, we haven't gone too well in the last it's couple a bubbly, episodes. It's a bubbly water with some hops in it. It's not, yeah. But it's not supposed to be strong. It's a 4.0. Well, it's meant to be double hopped. It doesn't even really taste single hopped to me. There's not much no. to it. Yeah. No, how much very, did you pay for this, Chris? Uh, $8 for a six pack. Oh, well, that possibly explains <laughs> a lot. I was like, wow, um, that's a bargain for a beer that I've yeah. never had before that's, well, yeah. that's trying it to be It makes sense now. All right, uh, so look, that's the Urban Crusader. It's probably not one we'd suggest you go out and find. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why is we're running low on beers at the moment that we haven't. We're going to have to actually get to the special craft shop rather than mm. we've gone through the, the entry-level craft beers at our local. We're going to have yeah. to actually hunt down some proper ones. We will do this in the next few weeks. Indeed. <laughs> All right, Chris, that uh, wraps up another show. Check out our website if you want to see the show notes. There's quite a lot of other news from Fotokina that you can check out, which we might pop up as well. Till next time, Chris. Cheers. We'll see you again on the Purple Fringe. Oh, 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 oh,